O Lord, help us to know that our lives are safe in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We've all heard that phrase, you are what you eat. And there's a lot of truth to that idea that what we consume makes us who we are. And this is true not only of foods, but any sort of content that we take in. If we listen to a lot of partisan news, we should not be surprised to find ourselves with stronger than average political opinions. If we read a lot of poetry, our speech might be a little bit more lyrical. Studies have shown that children who watch violence in cartoons are more violent in their interactions with others. We become what we consume. And this is both good and bad news. It is good news because by being conscientious of what we are consuming, we can better shape who we are becoming. The bad news is that all of those seemingly insignificant little decisions actually matter. And by not paying attention to them, we become a detriment to ourselves. Because there is so much content coming at us these days with ads and technology everywhere, we really need to be careful about what it is that we are consuming. The danger is that people who know a lot more about human psychology than we do are the ones creating the strategies to manipulate and influence our thoughts and actions on so many topics. This is how companies like Facebook and Google make so much money, through driving our habits with the end goal of delivering our attention to advertisers. We are all being manipulated to think, vote, purchase value, and act in certain ways. And if we don't think so, well, then we are doubly the fool. My point here is not to say that we all just need to stop watching media and never use technology. It's just we need to be aware of what we consume so that we could be more intentional about what we are consuming. Maybe you get your news from Fox or NPR or CNN or The Late Show. But how much time do we spend consuming God's good news in reading scripture? Maybe it's been a long day and we just want to sit on the couch and turn our brains off for a few minutes. So we pull out the phone and start scrolling through an app. Well enough. But how much time do we also sit and listen for what God has been trying all day to get us to hear? It's a question of how we invest our attention. And it really is an investment because there is going to be a return on it. What we focus on matters. This is exactly the point that St. Paul is making in the reading we heard from Colossians. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Does our diet subsist of the things of God or of the things of culture? The other scripture readings that we heard from this morning give us examples to consider. In Hosea, we heard God saying to his people, I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. It's one of the most tender and grace-filled passages in all of scripture. 
God's mercy and love are on full display. Even in our disobedience, God lavishes us with favor and forgiveness. In our apathy, God meets us with compassion and unconditional love. And how much time do we spend steeping ourselves in the beauty and the grandeur of God's gracious love? How often do we rejoice in and reflect on the great things that God has done for us? How often do we enjoy our forgiveness? instead of always worrying about our sins, shortcomings, and mistakes. Hosea reminds us just how much good there is to surround ourselves with. Now, the counterexample is found in Luke, with a parable about the sort of person that we all know, often because we meet them in the mirror. Jesus tells a story about a man who was so wealthy that he was obsessed with creating more and bigger spaces to store his wealth and ended up missing out on the gift of his life. Instead of focusing on God's grace, so often we focus on the metrics. What's my GPA or BMI or ROI? How many likes did my post get? How many people come to my church? How much is my salary? How well behaved or successful are my kids? How envious are other people of my life? The problem with all of those sorts of metrics is that the answer is never enough. The man in the parable had more than enough, but it was not enough for him. Only one thing is infinite, and that is God's love. When we invest in anything else, we will always come up short. There's a classic novel in which a character is asked to do something a little bit shady. When he hesitates, he is assured that he will be well paid, to which he responds, I ain't rich, I don't need money. And how true that is. It is as Jesus says, we cannot serve God and wealth. When we major in minor things and pursue those things that can never satisfy us, we turn into the object. It's not that we use our money to serve our needs, rather we start serving our money or reputation or influence or looks or whatever the particular idol happens to be. Friends, there is a better way. It is the difference that Christ makes. St. Augustine famously said that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. All of those things that we store up to put in our barns, they will not satisfy us. They will not give us peace. They will not take away the fears when we lie awake at night. They will not give us lasting hope. They will not assure us that we are loved. And certainly they will not be with us beyond the grave. There was a theologian in the medieval period who wrote extensively about God. And he recorded that one day he had a vision of God speaking to him, saying, you have written well about me. What do you desire? His response was, Lord, nothing but you. When God is at the center, everything else falls into place. It's something like the sun in our solar system. God is the only thing big enough, bright enough, and enduring enough for everything else to orbit around. Because if the sun were just a little bit smaller, the planets would fly off of their orbits and drift aimlessly. If the sun were just a little bit dimmer, we would not have the warmth that it takes to give us life. If the sun were like a fleeting comet, 
It could not be the foundation that we count on. Other things like career, politics, family, hobbies, these are not bad things. They just can't be at the center. And so how do we put God at the center of things? Well, it comes down to an investment. Time, energy, money, priorities. An honest look at our calendar or bank account or relationships will tell us how we make these investments. Do we spend more on vacations, streaming services, and eating out than we do charitable giving? Well, that tells us something. Do we spend more time on Instagram or watching television than we do in prayer or reading scripture or just being quiet? That gives us an insight into our priorities. Do we know the names of more people at the bar or the coffee shop or the gym than we do at church? Well, that tells us something about how regular our attendance really is. Do we always spend time with people who can do us a favor or with people that Jesus calls the least of these? Well, that says something about what we value. Are we divided along class of race, class, party, and preference because we always focus on how we are different? Or are we so united in God's love for us that like we heard in Colossians, we can say that there is no longer Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, Democrat and Republican, rural and urban, college graduate and high school dropout, gay and straight, young and old, normally bodied and differently abled, for Christ is all in all. If we are being torn apart by our differences, then perhaps it's because we've been focusing on the wrong things. Now, to be clear, it is always, always about God's grace. There is not one ounce of guilt in any of this. It's just a simple question of our investments, of what we focus on. Because as I, as I have said, there's only one thing that will give our hearts the rest that we seek. Only one thing that can assure us that all things shall be well. Only one thing that ultimately matters, and that is God. This is what St. Paul is getting at when he writes, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now hidden, it does not mean secretive here. It means something like enveloped, guarded, secured. Because our lives are hidden and secure in God, we are then free not to waste our time chasing things as fleeting as wealth, reputation, or awards. At St. Luke's, something that we prioritize as central to our identity and mission is coming and seeing the difference that Christ makes. Because of God's love and grace, we are able to live differently, more joyfully, more freely, more gracefully, because our lives are secure in Christ. We call it a children's song, but it's really a truth for all of us. He's got the whole world in his hands. And that reality makes all the difference. I'll conclude with a story that I've always found to be powerful about the difference that can happen when we know that our lives are hidden in Christ. In August, the church will commemorate the feast day of Jonathan Daniels. He was born in New Hampshire in 1939 and was raised in the church, but after some hardships and some doubts, he fell away from the faith. In the spring of 1962, he was at Harvard studying English literature, and he decided one Easter Sunday to do, as some people that haven't been to church in a while, he went to church on Easter. 
and he had a profound experience of God's holiness and love, found that he was renewed by grace in the faith. And so after he graduated, he entered seminary and was on track to become a priest after his anticipated graduation in 1966. However, and that's a word that often marks the difference that Christ makes in our lives, however, in March 1965, he and some other students heard about an invitation from a minister down in Alabama named Martin Luther King. He was asking for students from around the country to come and join him for a march in Selma for civil rights. And so Daniels and a few other students started to discuss whether or not they would make this trip. In his diary, he wrote, I had come to evening prayer as usual that evening, and as usual, I was singing the Magnificat with the special love and reverence I have always felt for Mary's glad song. Then it came, he hath put down the mighty from their seat and hath exalted the humble and meek. I knew then that I must go to Selma. Now as a quick note, this is the last Sunday of the month meaning that tonight at 5.30 p.m. we will have Evensong right here, the very same liturgy that drove Jonathan Daniels to Selma. It is a great opportunity to come and see and focus on the things that matter most. So Daniels and a few others left for Selma on a Thursday and they planned to stay through the weekend. But as the spirit would have it, they missed the bus back to Boston. How often it is that something has to go wrong for God to get our attention. And then the group started to talk about what their presence and then quick departure must look like. These seminarians just show up for the weekend and then they leave. So they decided that they needed to stay longer. Daniels got to work in the community. He helped with efforts to integrate the Episcopal Church there, which was not met with wide support from the white members of the congregation, but he persisted. In May, he did have to go back to school to take exams, but then he returned to Selma in July. Much of his work was around building relationships and advocacy for those in need. And he continued the marches and the protests, which landed him and a few others in jail one Friday afternoon after picketing some local businesses. A week later, they were released and they went to a local convenience store to get some refreshments. Now, Daniels was a white New Englander, but two of his friends were African-Americans from Selma. When they entered the store, an unpaid deputy met them with a shotgun in hand and told them to get out. There was a brief confrontation and the deputy pointed the barrel at a black girl who was with them. Daniels immediately jumped in front of her and took the blast himself. To round out the story, the shooter was found not guilty by an all-white jury. And the young girl that he saved was Ruby Sales who went on to become one of the most significant civil rights leaders in our nation's history. Now, not many of us will ever find ourselves in a situation like that. But we will find ourselves in situations in which the gospel will make all the difference. Just a few days before his death, Daniels wrote in his journal, I lost fear in Selma when I began to know in my bones and sinews that I had truly been baptized into the Lord's death and resurrection, that in the only sense that matters, I am already dead, and my life is hid with Christ in God. 
What we will soon receive is the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. And it is our hope that we really do become what we eat. And in this sacred meal, know the grace, love, and beloved community in finding that indeed, our lives are hidden and secured in Christ.